You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Chris Neal. This year has been a great year for us here at Grace. Like a really transformational year in the unity and just how our church has grown. And it's just been really fun to see and be a part of it. And so we've done some like books of the Bible this year. Does anybody remember the very first book of the Bible that we did this year? Genesis, in the beginning. That's a great place to start, isn't it? And so in Genesis, we saw how God created this amazing place for humanity, right? And he wanted to live in community and unity with them. And then almost immediately, the unity was kind of broken a little bit with God as, as sin entered the world. And we saw how, how like this unity between Adam and Eve, how their hope was strained a little bit and their unity was strained a little bit. As Eve, she ate the forbidden fruit. She gave some to her husband. He ate it too. She got them both kicked out of the garden. And ever since that day, a woman has not known what they want to eat. Right? <laughs> so... It's a better joke, maybe, I don't know. So, uh, but then we started the next book. Does anybody remember the next book we, we did? John. John, that's right, the book of John. And so in John, we saw this beautiful picture of how God had been working behind the scenes this whole time to restore the unity that was lost through Jesus. That's how he started to restore this image of unity that we had lost. And, and in John, we saw this beautiful prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples and his believers, people that followed him, for us all to have unity with one another, right? And that's hard sometimes, but he wanted that for us. And then he challenged us to go out into the world and reflect that unity and that love and that hope to the people in the world. And then the last book we just finished is Ephesians. We just finished it. Linda, good job. Everybody else has already forgotten. No, we, fin we finished Ephesians. And, and man, Ephesians, I had read Ephesians before several times, but I had never noticed how the word unity just keeps coming up over and over again in Ephesians. I mean, nearly on every page, there's something about unity. And also in Ephesians, we learn that us, the Gentiles, so raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Most everybody, that's good. Online, you can participate. But we learn that us, the Gentiles, are now unified with God through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so I don't always pick up on subtle cues. You can ask my wife, Katie. But I did pick up on this one. There is a big theme of unity all throughout the Bible. And there's been a big theme of unity all throughout all these messages all year. There really has been. And there seems to be this golden thread of unity that just goes throughout the entire scriptures. And I believe that most of us here as a church and as individuals have been really challenged to think about unity. Unity with people that are not like us and people who God maybe is calling us or challenging us to have unity with who are not like us. And I feel like for the first time that people here have been really thinking about who am I supposed to have unity with and how does that look in my life and who can I not have unity with and, and all that kind of stuff. And we've seen this in connect groups. Like we see these people 
and they're coming together and they're trying their best to stay unified all throughout all these issues and stuff that we've talked about these years, this year and this, these hot button issues. People are really rallying, trying to stay unified. We've seen people stepping out and serving populations and people that are not like them in an attempt to get unity. And that's, that's worthy of praise and that's worthy of celebration. So great job, Grace Church. And now we're getting ready to start Revelation in a couple weeks. And Revelation is a book that is well known for its unity, right? Well throughout the church. No, it's not really not. So first off, <laughs> we need to get this in. Is it Revelation or Revelations? If you've been reading Revelations, you've been reading the wrong book. So, no, Revelation, all right? And then is there going to be a rapture or is there not going to be a rapture? Is Jesus going to come back on his white horse and we all get to ride on that white horse with Jesus? Or is this just an allegory and God doesn't really need us to fight a battle that he's already won? And you're like, what? I'm not getting my white horse, right? Or is Kirk Cameron going to be there? Like, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Everybody has an opinion on Revelation, even if they've never read it. <laughs> they have an opinion because they've heard stories. They have like these interpretations of all this stuff. And so immediately there's going to be a threat to our unity. There's a potential, like a, a pretty good potential for our unity to be strained just a little bit in the coming weeks. But just because like this, this book is going to bring some attention to our differences and our opinions and stuff doesn't mean that we can't have unity through it. Remember this today. Unity is not conformity. Unity is not conformity. So we, can, we don't have to be like unified on like every symbol in Revelation, right? And then all these lampstands and bowls and visions and what they mean. We don't have to have like agree on everything, but we can be unified all the way through this. First off, we can be unified because of Jesus and who Jesus is and what he's done for each one of you here in the room. Online, hashtag Jesus, right? And so I thought it'd be fun to start out with something that probably 90% of us here this morning and online would agree with. So let's start with this. Jesus was a real man. He walked on the real earth. He did real miracles. And Jesus was a great man. It's been proven that Jesus was real. And he walked on the earth. And he's a great man. With that, I think most of us, maybe over 90%, can agree with that statement. So, in fact, Jesus was a rabbi. And so, in those days, to get the term rabbi added to your LinkedIn account, you know what you had to do? Like, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible before the age of 13. Also known as the Torah. So those are the first five books of the Bible. I mean, you had to memorize these verbatim and repeat them. That was the first step in becoming a rabbi and a teacher of the law code, right? Man, can you imagine trying to memorize all that? I guess you can get a lot done when you're not watching Netflix and Hulu and TV. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> so we have this rabbi who was a great man and a great teacher, and he did great things, and he did these miracles. And one of the coolest things... For me, especially this week, is I've noticed how this man, Jesus, washed his disciples' feet. And it's like a beautiful picture of his character and his love that he had for his disciples. And get this, Jesus, we believe he was fully man, right? So he had to have some temptations 
like all men do, to kind of get proud and exalt himself. And it would really be hard, especially for this time and this era, to wash people's feet. But Jesus didn't let that get the best of him. But here at Grace, we also believe that Jesus was fully God, right? That he fully followed his Father's will, that he was fully humble, that he fully loved his disciples, and he loves each and every one of you here and online this morning. But this moment of Jesus washing his disciples' feet is a moment like we need to research right now and kind of go through and look at because I think it's a moment that this church needs right now, like to really press into this unity that we've had as we finish out this year and get ready for next year, to really press into this realness that, that I think all these books have challenged us to look at our lives in a new and real new way, to live out this life of humility that God is asking us to live out, and then just to feel secure in the love of God and the love of the person sitting next to you, that they're not judging you. But don't worry, we're not going to actually wash anybody's feet here this morning, okay? So a one-legged man, <laughs> that's not his favorite thing to do, trrust me, okay? Some of you will get that in a minute. So you're like, which leg is it? Hmm. So anyway, <laughs> it's not his favorite thing. It's awkward super quick when this happens. But you could wash my feet in half the time, just saying, <laughs> right? So I want you to get this in your mind. Not that part, this new part, okay? You're in Jerusalem. It's Thursday night. It's late at night, you know, it's dark, they're in this upper room and you're hanging out with Jesus and you're having dinner with Jesus. And this is like a historic moment, really is. And it's a beautiful moment. And Jesus, he's looking around the room and he knows that people are going to betray him. One of them is going to really betray him. The other ones are going to leave and kind of, whoa, I don't know Jesus. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be hung on a cross a little bit later, right? He's, he's got a lot on his mind. But this is an emotional, like, tense, like, tense moment. And Jesus, he's just sitting there, and he looks around the table, the room, and he looks at each one of his disciples. And what do you think Jesus sees? He sees proud hearts, and he sees dirty feet. And this is where we pick up the story. So Jesus, he gets up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured a water basin into, or poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. So it's important to understand that in this culture, when you went over to someone's house for dinner, first you would get a kiss on the cheek, yes, and then they would offer you a nice foot washing. Right? And that seems pretty awkward to us. But in this culture, that was perfectly normal, and you would be actually mad or feel insulted if they didn't do this to you in this culture. Because as you walked over to this person's house, your feet would get dusty, and so when you got there, they would offer you a nice foot washing, a little kiss on the cheek, and then you could recline at the table and enjoy your meal. But you also need to know this. In this tradition, the host of the party would never be the one that washed your feet. Never. That was way beneath him. The host at the party would actually go, slave! And a slave would come in and wash your feet. And if he had one, it would have been a Gentile slave. Because that was even beneath the people, the Jewish people. <laughs> slave, the Jewish slaves washing other people's feet. That was beneath them. 
It would have been a Gentile slave if you had one. Because this not only was customary, but this showed the people that the host of the party had status and that he was impressive and that he had wealth. Not only did he have slaves, but he had Gentile slaves. And so this is the reason that the host would offer to wash his, or wash his guest feet. And so Jesus, he's at his final meal, you know, and he knows he's about ready to be betrayed and beaten and crucified. And he's looking at all these proud-hearted, dirty, stinking feet people. And Jesus lays all this noise and all this confusion in this moment. I mean, it's just got to be a whirlwind of emotions if you're fully man, right? And Jesus, he gets up, he puts on his slave apron, And he starts to wash his disciples' feet. And you have to get the gravity of this moment because Jesus is their rabbi. He is their teacher. And many of the people in the room that night, they already believed that he was the son of God, that he is the lamb of God, that he is the most high, that he is truth, that he is righteousness, that he is hope. I mean, Jesus, like when he would have got up and put on that slave apron, the people at the party would have been gasping, like, what? No, Jesus, no. No. I mean, that's almost as impressive and humbling as my wife Katie offering you a hug, right? <laughs> but, this, <laughs> but really, this is like, to me, one of the most beautiful and moving moments of Scripture. If you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he gets down on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. And Jesus is the one that should be exalted And Jesus gets down on his knees, basically bows down before them in these slave clothes. Not just a towel, it's slave clothes. And he washes their feet. The greatest man in the room humbles himself and becomes nothing to these people. And that's radical love. That's radical humility. That's radical unity that he's trying to show his disciples what's coming next. He knows they need it. And he knows that all this unity that we've been working so hard now, like we got to get this in our minds of how we're going to keep our unity and how we're going to move forward. And all the other disciples at this party and throughout their entire life, they would have never thought about washing someone's feet. It was beneath them. They would have never thought. So this is like a radical, like mind-blowing time that they're experiencing. And funny thing is, Jesus does this, and he has bread and wine with them, and it's this beautiful moment. And then they should be like super unified. Instead, the disciples, they start arguing about which one of them is going to be the greatest. Luke 22, 24 says this. So a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. I mean, can you imagine the Son of God has just washed your feet You've had this beautiful moment of bread and wine, and you should feel so unified, and you should feel so humbled that this has happened. But instead, they're worried about who's going to be the greatest, and they're arguing about who's the best, about which one is the most righteous, about which one of these men get the position of privilege to be seated next to Jesus, right? I'm glad I'm not like that. But in this moment, their proud hearts and their dirty feet Gets the best of them. And that's kind of where we're at as a church today. Because I really believe that we have the most unity that I've ever seen Grace Church have at this moment in time. Over a decade now, this is like we're unified on so many areas. And we're moving forward in so many areas in unity. 
We want the best for each other. It's kind of hard because we have these three different congregations, and they're so unique and, and so like diverse. And, and, man, it's just really beautiful. And we've gone through COVID, and we've gone through, through politics, and it's hard to keep unity through all that. But we've done it. Like I've seen people trying so hard on these hot-button issues that we've talked about to have unity. And I've seen people get out of their comfort zone and serve these communities of people that are not like them. And I've seen people in these groups with very little in common. But they believe they are better together. They believe that they are better unified. And that's kind of refreshing and beautiful. And even this week, there's going to be a teams of people up here preparing for the garden conference. Maybe you heard of it. Maybe not. I don't know. Looks like we promoted that quite a bit, I thought. <laughs> So even at the garden conference, we've been praying this prayer, this verse over this house and the ladies of this house and the ladies of this community for over a year. It's Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. And so when we read Ephesians and you see the word you, what we're supposed to do? Y'all. Good job. So 319. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen y'all with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in y'all's hearts through faith. And I pray that y'all, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge and all understanding. That you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. So that's the prayer for this house. That's the prayer for this conference is that the women of this community and this church, they would come and they would experience this, uni this unity and this radical love. Then two weeks after that, I'm going to start Revelation, right? It's going to be a series on this book, which is well known for its ability to bring people together. That's not true. It's a very divisive book. So on the heels of all this unity, like this is a chance for us to really test what we believe. Do we want to be unified or not? Does it matter or not? But I believe God had been preparing for us for this, this whole year. Just like Jesus knew he needed to wash his disciples' feet and show them this unity and love that they needed, God's been preparing us in our hearts through these first three books that we've studied. God knew that we needed to start with unity before we moved on. God's been challenging us, man, to grow in this, in this unity and community. And God's been challenging us like, to really grow in this maturity. I've seen so many people, even myself, mature over this year as we really pressed into God's word and then applied it to our lives. Like I've seen it. And so this next few weeks and the rest of this year doesn't have to be a divisive moment. It doesn't have to result in us taking sides and digging our heels in and saying, this is what I believe and it's right. It doesn't have to be like that. So as we move forward, here's the image that I believe you should try and keep in your mind. It's going to be a radical video that we're getting ready to watch. I got no leg room back here. Move your seat forward. It's as far as it goes. There's a mechanism. You just pull it and throw your body weight. I pulled it. It doesn't go. You want the leg room? Say you want the leg room. Don't blame the mechanism. All right, Dad, we're five blocks from the house. Sit sideways. Like an animal. Because of her, I have to sit here like an animal. Serenity now! Serenity now! What is that? Doctor gave me a relaxation cassette. When my blood pressure gets too high, the man on the tape tells me to say, Serenity now! 
Are you supposed to yell it? And then the tape wasn't specific. <laughs> what happened to the screen door? It blew off again? I told you to fix that thing. Serenity, no! Yes, but instead of serenity, let's make it clear that we all need unity, unity now, y'all. Say it with some passion sometimes, but... But seriously, this is the attitude and the kind of the heart that we should have as we move forward throughout like, the rest of this year and especially in this series that we're getting ready to do. So when you feel pressured and you're studying Revelation and you're like, I don't know what this means, I'm not sure, and you feel your blood pressure starting to rise, what are we going to say? Unity now, good job. And so when you're in a small group and you can, again, feel your blood pressure and you're like, I don't know what this lampstand means, I'm not sure what this bowl symbolizes, what was this vision supposed to be about, what are we going to say? Unity now, that's right. Or if you're here and you care less about any of this, but you work with somebody who's an idiot, right? And you think they're an idiot, instead of telling them they're an idiot, what are we going to do? Or if you're in Carline, it's been a month. Why can nobody just drive through Carline? They've been doing it a month now. What are we going to say instead of honking and telling them they're idiots? Unity now, that's right. This is the posture. This is the unity. This is the community that we need to take moving forward is unity now. And remember, like, Jesus did this so we can do this. Ephesians 2, 5 through 8. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. The most powerful man in the room who deserved to be exalted if anybody ever truly did, humbled himself, emptied himself, and made himself nothing. He basically bowed down before his disciples, and he had this unique, sacred, special moment with each one of them as he washed their stinking feet. And he knew the challenges that were about to come. He knew the challenges that they were about to face but he took this time and he had this, this beautiful moment of unity with his disciples. And so Grace Church, we don't need more proud hearts and dirty feet. What we need are people that are willing to really press into this dream, to this idea, to this foundational belief that we all need unity now. Grace Church needs people that are willing to serve and to love and to give and to live as if... Unity now really matters to them. Grace Church needs people that are willing to learn what it's really like to live out this calling that God is calling them to this, to this beautiful picture of unity. And I know it's hard sometimes because as soon as you want unity, God's going to bring people into your life that are not like you. <laughs> so you can say, you want unity? Let's practice it. Right? And so I don't know about all of you. Band, you guys can come on back up. So I don't know about all of you, but I can almost guarantee you that most of you, probably all of you, have at least one person in your life that you think they have a proud heart and some stinking dirty feet. Right? There's somebody in your life 
that has a proud heart and stinking feet. Online, there's somebody. And I feel, especially this week, God's been challenging me. Like, when are you going to wash their feet, Chris? They're so annoying, God. Like, when are you going to wash their feet? And how do we do that? We wash their feet with, with like our words of kindness. Instead of telling them they're idiots, we, we, we tell them we love them. We try and help them. We wash them with our words. We wash them with our actions because our actions are meaningless unless, unless they're backed up by what we actually do and show them this love. We wash their feet. We wash them with humility. We don't always have to be right. We wash them with this beautiful humility and love. That's how we wash their feet. And so this week and during this last song, I mean, I know that each and every one of you in here and online has somebody that God is really challenging you to wash their feet. And that doesn't mean you got to let people walk all over you. That's not what we're saying here. But there is somebody, I believe, in this, each and every person has somebody. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.